Welcome to the First Baptist Church Brunswick podcast. Join us as we desire to lead people into a deep and thriving relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen, amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, and I'm sure that you do, would you please take them out and go to the New Testament book of Philippians. Philippians, right after the book of Ephesians, which is right after Galatians, and it's right before Colossians. The way I remember that is go eat popcorn. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, go eat popcorn. How many of you heard that before? Okay, you just heard it right before I said that, so all of you should have raised your hand in that much. You just heard that before. Anyway, anyways, thank you so much, and thank you for turning to the book of Philippians as we begin this brand new series called Joyful, a walk through uh, this great, great book. But before we jump into that, I do want to make just a couple of uh, quick, quick announcements, some recognitions this morning. Um, Ruby Brannon. Ruby, are you here this morning? Ruby? There she is. There's Miss Ruby. Last Sunday, and I failed to mention this, but last Sunday was her 91st birthday. <laughs> Happy birthday, Ruby. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Sarah Maxwell. Miss Sarah, where are you? Miss Sarah, I believe it is your 80th birthday today, and you have family with you this morning. Can we give you a round of applause? Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Love you two ladies. Thank you so much. Well, the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians. Philippians is one of my favorite books in the Bible. It's a great book. Um, it is known as the happiest book in the Bible. If you were to read through this entire book, it's four chapters, four chapters long. The word joy, or the words joy, rejoice, glad, enjoy, it is written over 19 times in this four chapters. It is uh, the happiest book. It is the book of joy in uh, the New Testament. And what I find interesting about this book, Philippians, one, it is written by Paul, but, but when Paul wrote this letter, he's in prison. It's in prison that he writes this letter, but yet it is known as the most joyful book in the New Testament. And I think one of the things that we're going to learn throughout these next several weeks as we walk through this through this book, we're going we're gonna to learn and we're going to discover together that no matter the circumstances in your life, you and I can still have joy. Amen? No matter what's going on in your life, no matter what somebody's done to you, no matter what somebody has not done to you, no matter the circumstances of your life, what we're going to learn from this great book is this, is that you can have joy. And I'm really excited to look over this book over the next several weeks. Not only is this book one of the, the happiest or the happiest book in the New Testament, it's the most joyful book, but this book is also what you would call a thank you letter. Paul is very thankful in this letter as he writes a thank you letter to the church at Philippi. Philippi um, is in Greece, modern day Greece, and this great book of Philippians is a book that, that he started the church in Philippi. And if you're ever thinking about starting a church, 
Paul gives us a great example of how to start a church. Here's what you do, and this is Paul's example. You, you go over into a city, you go to the synagogue, and you begin to preach. You preach Jesus. People get offended at you. People beat you up. People throw you in prison. And those who remain by your side, there's your church. Amen? That's a great church planting model, and this is what we're going to see all throughout this book of Philippians as as Paul is so thankful for this great church in Philippi. As a matter of fact, scholars would say that of all the churches that Paul started, this is his favorite one. It's his favorite one. He has, and we're going to read this here in a few moments, he has great affection for this great church. And why does he have affection for this church? Well, one of the reasons is because this church had sent him a financial gift while he was in prison. Not only was it a financial gift, they also sent him uh, their prayers and their support. And so Paul is eternally thankful and grateful for this church in Philippi. And so not only is it a joyful book, not only is it a thank you note, but what we're going to see as well, this this is a very personal book. This is a very personal book. Paul is very intimate with this church, and he shares that with them. And we look into the life of Paul, and we see something that that maybe we haven't seen in his other letters. In his other letters, he can be very harsh and very, very difficult. But here, Paul is a pastor. He loves this church. And so over the next several weeks, I I do want to encourage you to bring your Bible with you. Follow along. Mark up your Bible. Um, Write in the Bible the things that you you learn that God teaches you through this series as we look at this over the next next several, several weeks. And so as we get started, let me share with you um, some reasons why I've decided to preach on the book of Philippians. If, you, if you've been around and heard me preach for a while, you've probably have gathered that when I start a series, I try to answer the why. why. Why this book? Why now? Why Philippians? Why this book of joy? Why are we doing it now in this fall semester of school of 2021? Well, let me give you um, several, several reasons why. This isn't going to be on the screen for you. This is just my pastor's heart for you guys. Why Philippians? Why are we studying this now and why is this important? Well, number one, I do want to let you know that uh, this was not my original intent to preach through the book of Philippians. Whenever I schedule out my sermons, I try to do that about a year in advance where I will write down just kind of an idea of where I want to go. And uh, for the longest time, I was, um, I was going to preach on the book of Luke. I just wanted to get into the Gospels. I just felt like we needed to get into the Gospels. And so I began to prepare, study the book of Luke, and do uh, what I need to do to be prepared to present a message to you. And doggone it, as when I was studying, I just began to lose focus. I just kind of lost some motivation when I was studying the book of Luke. Does that make sense to anybody? I'm just like, huh. I'm like, okay, God, I thought I was going this direction. Well, maybe it wasn't the book of Luke you wanted me to do. Maybe it was the book of Acts because Luke wrote Acts. That makes perfect sense. And I began to study Acts, and the same thing happened. I'm like, okay, God, I don't, I'm, why am I not getting motivated to do this? I'm trying to study the Word, but what, something's just not clicking there, God. What's, what's going on? And so I go back to my knees. I'm like, Lord, you really got to help me out because, Father, I, I need to get prepared for this. I need to let the staff know. I need all this, God. So just please... 
please show me what you want me to teach on, what you want me to preach on. And in my prayer time, the Lord's began to remind me, brought back to my attention, something, a decision that I made back on January 1. Instead of making a goals or New Year's resolution for 2021, uh, I decided uh, to choose a word for the year. And the Lord reminded me that I chose the word joy. I chose the word joy. And it's almost like the Lord said, okay, Chris, remember this. You and I talked about this. Just remember, you chose the word joy. And remember, you, you just preached through the book of Ecclesiastes in the spring. And, and there's some joy aspects of that. And then just, and just a reminder that he said, hey, Chris, just know the book of Philippians is the book of joy. And so I remember for that moment going, okay, God, you're pretty good. I will follow your lead. And so that's one of the reasons. The second reason that I want us to look at, uh, well, let, let me back up and say this. Um, the, the joy is a major theme in the Bible. Jesus wants you and I to be full of joy. Uh, Jesus himself said in John chapter 15, verse 11, he says, These things that I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. So Jesus himself says this, that you and I can have joy, and he wants us to have joy. And so as I've wrestled with that over this past week, getting ready for today, I've had to ask myself this question as I think about what's going on in Afghanistan. As you know, the United States is pulled out of Afghanistan, and as you know, the uh, Islamic terrorists called the Taliban have come in and have taken over the country, and a lot of Afghans are trying to leave the country, right? Now, there are believers and there are missionaries in Afghanistan, and they now have targets on their backs. I read of uh, uh, a missionary's letter from Afghanistan and, and just talking about they don't know what to do, but here was her response. We are not leaving. And so I began to wrestle with that. Okay, God, I don't fully understand how uh, those in Afghanistan, how, how uh, those there are believers of, of, of you in Afghanistan, I don't understand how they're on the run, but you can, that you can still have joy. I don't understand that completely, but Lord, I trust you that no matter what our circumstances are, you can still have joy. And I think that's something that we as Americans, we need to understand, that no matter what's going on, you and I can still have joy. Uh, write down this verse. Write down Psalm 1611. Psalm 1611, David, the great writer of the Psalms, he says, this is one of my favorite Psalms of verses, he says this, in your presence is the fullness of joy. God, in your presence is the fullness of joy. And so uh, as, as, as we look at this series on the book of Philippians, one of, one of my prayers for you, the prayer for me is this, in order for us to, to experience the fullness of joy, it begins by basking in the glory of God. It means you come into his presence, you humble yourselves, you bow your knee to him and God and say, God, I just want to be in your presence. Uh, this morning as I was praying, again, over this, over this service and over this message, um, I was reminded of a story in the book of 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter five and uh, chapter 6 and chapter 7, when, when David wants to build this, this, this tabernacle to God, this, this, this holy place to God, and he's preparing for it. And then God ultimately says, no, you're not going to build it. Your son is going to build it. Well, in 2 Samuel 7, it says this. After David received that word, it says this. He went and he sat before the Lord. 
He sat before the Lord. And folks, I just want to throw out to you and and encourage you that if you want to experience the fullness of joy, the fullness of, of Christ's joy in your life, it begins with you sitting before the Lord. It begins with you basking in the glory of what God has already done through his son, Jesus Christ. And so I pray that throughout this series that, that, that joy will just begin to bubble up and you will become joyful, that you'll be full of joy. Another reason why I want to walk through this letter is because of this. It covers almost every Christian doctrine that is extremely important to us. Meaning there are some deep theological truths here that will equip us to defend the faith and to defend the gospel. Uh, For example, we're going to look at and we're going to study Christology, which is the study of Christ. If you and I, just a kind of a brief overview of Philippians, four chapters. In chapter one, we will discover that, uh, that Christ is our life. Christ is our life. Philippians 1.21 says, as Paul says, this, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So if you and I have a proper Christology, a view of who Jesus is, his personhood and his godness, we understand that he is our life. If you and I want to really live, then we have to live for Christ. Why? Because he is our life. In chapter 2, we will see that Christ is our example. Paul says in chapter 2, and we'll get to this in in, in a couple of weeks, but in chapter 2, Paul says this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but consider others better than yourselves. Why? Because this is the same attitude that's in Christ Jesus. So in chapter 2, we are going to learn that if we're going to follow, if we're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, then we need to do exactly what he does because he is our example. In chapter 3, we're going to see that God is our goal. God is our ultimate goal in life. In chapter 3, Paul is going to say this, I press on towards the upward call of God. I press on towards the goal of the upward call. Meaning as a believer in Jesus Christ, no matter where you are, no matter your stage, no matter your age, no matter where you live, no matter what you do, the goal of being a believer in Jesus Christ is you become more and more like Jesus Christ. And you don't stop. You keep on pressing on. Why? Because Christ is our goal. And then in chapter 4, we're going to learn this, that Christ is our strength. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ, who does what? Who strengthens me. Man, that's a great verse, right? In context, Paul is saying this. Paul is saying this, that God is going to get me through no matter what comes my way. As a matter of fact, he says in chapter 4, he says this, I've been, I've been without and I've had plenty. And through it all, I can say this, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You now, Philippians 4.13 isn't just a great verse for athletics. Amen. It's for life, meaning you can get through everything. So we're going to look at Christology. We're going to look at soteriology, which is the study of salvation, that Jesus Christ is our justification, that we cannot find a right relationship with the Heavenly Father without Jesus Christ. We're going to look at eschatology, which is the study of end times, because Paul tells us that you can be joyful and that you can be, that you can be full of joy, but you need to maintain that joy until the day that Jesus Christ returns. And so this book is so centered on who Christ is, and my prayer is that you will be so focused on Christ that you will become full of joy. Are y'all still with me this morning? I may get excited today. I just want to let you know. The third reason that we're going to study the book of Philippians is this. Philippians is a great relational book. It's about relationships. 
It's about relationships. It's, it's Paul's thank you letter. It's filled with kindness. It's filled with different words, love, joy, peace, unity, fellowship. And, and as a matter of fact, there's some scholars will say that uh, one of the reasons that Paul is writing to the Philippians is one, to thank them, but also to tell them to remain unified to remain together. Don't let things divide you. Don't let individual opinions divide you. He's going to say, you work together for a common good. Uh, one commentary said this about Philippians. I think this is fantastic. He said this, in Paul's letter to the Philippians, we discover how to deal with cantankerous Christians. Isn't that good? How do we deal with cantankerous Christians and the importance of uh, the unity in the body of Christ? And so uh, that's one of the reasons why I named today or titled today's message, Joyful Living in a Grumpy World. A lot of times the grumpiness comes from fellow believers. Can I get an amen on that one? How do we have joyful living in a grumpy world? We're going to learn that through these next several weeks. And lastly, um, and I've already alluded to this, why we're going to go through this book is simply because of this. Philippians is going to teach us that you can be joyful. You can be joyful no matter the circumstances of your life. Your circumstances do not determine how joyful you are as a believer in Jesus Christ. The world believes otherwise. The world will teach you differently. The world is going to tell you and I that you need to to gain all the world, get everything you can for yourself, make a name for yourself, Buy everything that you can, but but Philippians is going to teach us that circumstances do not determine your happiness or your joy. Folks, that's hard, isn't it? That's hard. Um, And this week, I got to tell you, this week, I I had a hard week this week. Some of you know this, some of you may not, but I was in my very first wreck in my life on Wednesday. Somebody ran into me. And I was so angry at them. My wife saw the accident. She was another place and she came over to me very quickly and said, Chris, remember, you're wearing a shirt that says First Baptist Church. (laughs) Yes, dear. But that wasn't fun. I didn't want to be joyful in that moment. Right? I didn't want to be joyful in that moment. I know later in the week, um, she and I heard some words that were not great to us. Not from, not from here, not from any of you, not related here, but some words that were painful. It's like, what? What gives? Right? Lord, I don't understand. What, that doesn't make sense. And it's just God saying, you don't have to have circumstances all great and rosy to be joyful. I mean, it's just a reminder that, and I think this is so important for us. In this series, we have to remember that life's not fair. Life's not, just because you're a believer in Jesus Christ doesn't mean that everything's going to go great and that life is fair and everybody's, oh, well, since you're a follower of Jesus, I'm going to be kind to you. Does that make sense? Life's not fair. But yet Jesus' promise remains true. 
He says this, I want my joy to be in you, and I want you to be joyful. Well, we could go home right now, amen? But we're not. (laughs) I've got another hour to preach. Philippians 1, 1 through 8. Follow along with me, please. Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Would you join with me in prayer? Father, we thank you. I thank you for this great book. Uh, I thank you that you inspired Paul. Uh, these are the written words of you, God, and we highly esteem them. We humble ourselves to them, and we ask that you would fill us with your joy today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let me give you a little background to the book of Philippians, a little bit of background how this was written. You may want to write this in your Bible. When you study the book of Philippians, there's two dates that you want to remember, A.D. 51 and A.D. 61. Remember those dates. A.D. 51 is when Paul began his second missionary journey. If you remember, he went on three missionary journeys that we know of. His second missionary journey, he makes his way to Philippi. Now, some of you may remember this story, but when Paul left Jerusalem um, on his second missionary journey, he wanted to go to the churches that he had started in his first missionary journey. He wanted to go visit them and encourage them. This all takes place in Acts chapter 16. As he began to make his way up into Galatia and near Asia, Paul was trying to go into Asia. And he has Paul and Silas and Timothy are with him. And he's trying to take the gospel into a place that has not received the gospel, that being Asia. He keeps trying, he keeps trying, but the Holy Spirit says, no, you're not going to Asia. And you may remember the story. He, he gets this notification through a dream. One day, one evening, Paul receives what is called the Macedonian vision. In this dream, in this vision, Paul sees and he hears a man from Macedon, which is Greece. He hears this man and he sees this man, calls out to Paul and he says to Paul, come help us, we need your help. And so Paul went. He, Silas and Timothy, they go across to Macedonia, and there they go to the first place in Macedon, Macedonia, they go to Philippi. And there in Philippi, they meet a lady by the name of Lydia. 
Lydia, um, Scripture says that she was a, a seller of purple, seller of, of, of purple fabric. And, and they met her at the river as they were praying. And, and Paul led Lydia to Christ, led her whole family to Christ, and asked Paul, Silas, and Timothy to remain there with her. And so for the next several days, Paul and all of these new believers now, they began to go to the river and they began to teach and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can imagine what happened next. Uh, the, the Romans in this city of Philippi, because it was a Roman colony, um, they got upset that Paul is preaching Christ and Christ alone. And so the, uh, the Philippians, those who lived there, became very upset at Paul and Silas. And guess what they do to him? They throw him in jail. They throw him in jail. And, and Acts 16 says this, that while Paul and Silas were in jail in Philippi, they're in prison, they're in shackles, they start singing praise songs. How about that? They start singing. They start worshiping. And all the other people are hearing them. And then in the middle of the night, a great earthquake takes place, breaks the shackles off of the wrist, breaks the shackles off of their feet, and the doors fly wide open. They are set free. Well, as they get up and they're about to leave, they see a person that we know as the Philippian jailer. Do you remember this story? The Philippian jailer, it was his responsible to make sure that the prisoners remained in prison. If the prisoners escaped, then uh, by, by Roman law, the Philippian jailer is going to have to be executed. And so the, the doors break free, and, and the Philippian jailer is about to execute himself. And Paul says, no, 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 don't, don't, don't do that, don't, 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 don't do that. And Paul and Silas begin to share the gospel with the Philippian jailer. And the Philippian jailer said this, I love this, one of the great verses in all of Scripture. He says this, what must I do to be saved? Isn't that good? What must I do to be saved? Paul tells him. He goes to the Philippian jailer's house and he baptized the Philippian jailer and the entire household. Wow. All this takes place in Philippi, and that's how the church started. And then Paul gets run out of town. You know, other than that, that's just, that's how it works. Paul moves on in his second missionary journey, has a third missionary journey, but uh, 10 years later, okay, that all took place in 51 AD, AD, come to 61 AD, 10 years later, you'll see a theme here. Paul is again in prison. There's a theme. Paul's in prison. He's awaiting a trial. He's awaiting a trial because he wants to be delivered. He's in prison, but he's actually in house arrest. So he's in a home. He can do whatever he wants, but there is a, a Roman guard that is with him at all times. And Acts 20, 28 says this, that for two years while Paul is in house arrest, he writes and he teaches about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's in those years, starting in 61 AD, that Paul sits down and he writes this letter to the Philippians. And he begins to pour out his heart to them. Because in 61 AD, the Philippians have heard that Paul's in prison, so they send their new pastor to him. His name is Epaphroditus. We're going to read about him in a couple of uh, weeks. Epaphroditus goes to see Rome, uh, excuse me, goes to Rome to see Paul, and he brings the gift from the Philippians. On the way, Epaphroditus almost dies. Finally, he makes it to Rome, and then Paul sees all that Epaphroditus has done, and he sends Epaphroditus back to Philippi with this thank you note. And it's what we know as the book of Philippians. 
And here's what I want you to see in the next few minutes that we have left. Is I want you to see Paul's heart. I want you to see Paul's heart, which is the beginning of joyfulness. And I want you to see how you and I can make this application to our lives today that no matter the circumstances of life, we can still choose to be joyful. Look at verses 3 through 5. The first thing that we see about this letter is this, that Paul was thankful for his church. I want you to write this down. Joyful people are thankful. Amen? One of you. Joyful people are thankful. Amen? And we see this in the example of Paul. Look at verses 3 through 5. Verse 3 says, Paul says, and he's writing to the Philippians, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Uh, that word thank, uh, that word thank is the Greek word eucharisto, which is where we get our word eucharist, which is where we get our word communion, which is where we get our word Lord's Supper. It is a thankfulness. When you and I take the Lord's Supper, which we're going to do that on August 29th, it is a thankful moment. It's a moment when we look into the Heavenly Father and say, God, thank you for sending your Son to us. And it's, it's in a moment where we say, God, I don't care the circumstances. I don't care what's going on. I'm going to choose to be thankful. Eucharisto. And Paul says, the very first thing he says is, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. And this is what he says. This is what thankfulness does. It causes you to boil over in prayer, in prayer with joy. Paul says in verse 4, he says, listen, I'm overflowing with joy and my prayers overflow with joy for you. Why? Because I'm so thankful for you. Paul, in a very difficult circumstance, he, be, he says this, you know what, I'm going to choose to look at the positive things in life rather than the negative things of life. I, I, want, I want to look at the positive. I don't want to look at the negative. So, so church, I want to let you, I think I remember you and I think of all the good things and I just say thank you for being so great and being so gracious and kind to me. I don't know about you, but I, th we can take something from that about about being thankful instead of looking at the negative all the time. Amen? In my flesh, my flesh, my human nature, I'm a the glass is half empty kind of guy. When I get tired, I can get negative. When I get stressed, I can get negative. Anybody with me on that one? Nobody. You're all half full people. You're a great church. Yes. But, but when I'm in the Spirit, and when the Spirit has filled me, and He has filled me because I'm a believer in Christ, then that becomes a, a, a gratefulness, a, a positive, that, that we need to be thankful in, in all things that, that is going on in our lives. And continue on looking at verse, verse, uh, verse 5. Paul says, I'm thankful for you, and I pray with joy for you, verse 5, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. Write this down. Joyful people are centered around the gospel. Not only are joyful people thankful people, they're also centered around the gospel. Meaning, if you do not center your life around the gospel, you're not going to be joyful. And let me talk to small groups right now. Small groups, if your small group is not centered around the gospel, it's not going to be a joyful group. 
So small groups, you center around the gospel, you center around the scripture, you center around the text. You say, what does this text, what does that text say to us? How do we, how do we apply this text to us? And you center yourself around the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when you do that, you become a joyful person. Why do we know? Because that's what Jesus said in John 15. He says, my joy will be made full in you. Why? When you're centered around me. Look in verse number five. Look at, um, look at that phrase, participation in the gospel. Everybody see that? In your copy of God's word, underline that. Uh, put some parentheses around the phrase, partnership in the gospel. I love this. Are you all with me this morning? Uh, that phrase, partnership in the gospel, it's a Greek word that, you're, that some of you are very familiar with. It's the Greek word koinonia. Anybody familiar with that word? Koinonia. Uh, it's, it's the word that we use today. It's called fellowship. In Baptist life, it's called potluck dinner. <laughs> right? Food and Baptist go together. And so Paul uses this word koinonia, um, fellowship. Now, when Paul used this word, it's, it's, it had an interesting meaning, literal meaning in Paul's day. That word koinonia, it literally meant, it literally meant two men who buy a boat together and start a fishing business together. That's what it literally meant. So if you said the word koinonia, because they lived near, near the water, right? Um, if you said koinonia, you would admit, immediately think of two men, two, two people coming together to purchase something together and then to do something together. Do you get it? It's people coming together, different people, different ideas, different gifts, different, different thoughts, Different ages, different stages. It's koinonia is it's people coming together, buying into something together, and then doing business together. You get it. So Paul says to the church at Philippi, this is why I'm so thankful for you. One, 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 you have you have partnered with me in the gospel, meaning this, I'm Paul, I started the church, you listened to me, uh, you have allowed me to pour into you, and you have partnered with me together. And so when you have these, when you have people who come together, different thoughts, different ideas, uh, different desires on how things need to be done, and, and different ages and different states, but when you come together, koinonia means you come together, you work together for a common good. You are never together if you're, if you're fighting for a different purpose. Are you with me? And so Paul says, here's what I love about you, church, is that you, you've come together. Koinonia, partnership in the gospel. You have come together. You've purchased it together. And, and, and you are working together for the common good. Now, church, for us today, we all, different ages, different stages, different, different you name it, different ideas, different thoughts. And that's beautiful. And that's wonderful. And that's glorious. But the greatness of a church, the, 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 the effectiveness of a church is when we all come together for the common good and for the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I got no amens on that. Do you understand that the purpose of the church is for the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ? That, that's the purpose. 
And that's what koinonia is. Man, I love potluck dinners. But next time we have a potluck dinner, just don't bring, don't, don't bring a green bean casserole and I'll be perfectly happy. <laughs> but if you do bring a green bean casserole, it's all good. I ain't going to eat it. <laughs> but listen, somebody else will. Come on, y'all. Come on. Somebody else will. I ain't. Not going to do it. But I'm not going to say, how dare you bring a green bean casserole. Are you with me? You be joyful. Be thankful. And you're centered around the gospel. Look at verse number six. I want you to write this down. Joyful people encourage others. Verse 6, for I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul's in prison. Paul is in a difficult circumstance, but he's full of joy. And the way that we know he's full of joy is this, he encourages people. Joyful people encourage others. Amen? Joyful people encourage others. Verse 6 is one of the most uh, famous or more popular verses in all of Scripture. And why is that? Because it's a great reminder that, you know what, what God starts, he's going to finish. What he started in you, he's going to finish. So that means no matter what you're going through right now, what God started, he's going to finish. He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. When is it going to be finished? Until the day of Christ Jesus. When is that? I don't know. So until then, you keep pushing on. This is what Paul's saying. Paul is in, in prison. He's in chains. And he, and he encourages those in Philippi saying, you just keep hanging on. You press on. And that's, how, that's why Philippians 3 is so important when he reminds them that, that you press on towards the goal, the upper call of Christ Jesus. You keep on. You know, say, ah, Pastor, I don't see how this can work out for, for God's glory or for my good. I don't either, but I know what God's word says. It's that he who began a good work in you, he's going to see it to the end. So that no matter what you're going through, the difficulties or the successes, know this. What God started in you, he is going to see it to completion. And you keep pressing on. Well, look at verses 7 and 8. Here's the third thing that we see about Paul. Um, Paul has been thankful. He is an encourager. And then verses 7 and 8, here's what we see. Paul cares for the church at Philippi. Write this down. Joyful people care for others. Joyful people care for others. Verse 7 says this. It is only right for me to feel this way about you because I have you in my heart. Since both in my imprisonment and the defense of the confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of grace with me. Why? Verse 8. For God is my witness how I long for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. Joyful people care for others. Caring for others leads to your joyfulness. I'm sure you've heard of this, this acronym, and, and I've thought about it over these past couple of days about this book of Philippians, and it's the word joy. How do you find joy in life? J-O-Y. You, you know this, right? Jesus first, 
others second, yourself third. That's Paul. And where does Paul get that from? He gets it from following the example of Jesus Christ. So church, are you joyful? Are you full of joy? That doesn't mean you're, you're, you're running around, jumping up and down, and, and, and high-fiving everybody. Don't do that during COVID. It's not what we're talking about. We're talking about are, are you joyful? Do you, have, do you have the joy of the Lord in your heart? Listen, you may be here this morning, and this, this concept of joy is foreign to you. If that's you, I want to let you know that joy can only come when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ. And you surrender to what he did on the cross of Calvary. He laid down his life for you so that you could have joy. And so that you could have life eternal. So that you could have your sins forgiven. And so that then you can have a joyful life and you can have Jesus' joy that lives in you. Maybe this morning you need to finally give your life to Christ. Understand what he did for you on the cross Understand that, on the, that he was buried and on the third day he rose again and he's, he's resurrected. He now sits at the right hand of the Father, but he's soon coming to take us home. You need to be ready. You need to be ready. So make that decision today to follow Christ. Some of you here today may be going through some difficult circumstances. But Paul, Jesus, in the book of Philippians is calling you to be joyful. And church... Let's grow in our joy together. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Father, I pray that you would have your way with us. I pray, Father God, that you would move among us. Now, Father, I pray that you would teach us to have joy. That we would have joy deep in our hearts. J-O-Y. Joy. Holy Spirit, speak to our people today. And I pray that our people respond to you. In Jesus' name.